My name is Amanda French, and I'm the co-founder and CEO at EMI. To me, Femtech represents a big opportunity to solve major unmet needs for more than half the world's population through technology. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and before we kick off today's episode, I want to tell you about our upcoming summit on March 21st and 22nd. Get your tickets for this badass women's health and wellness conference at femtechsummit.com. We have awesome speakers like Jesse Draper from Hologen Ventures, one-on-one office hours with investors, and a reverse pitch competition where femtech investors are in the hot seat pitching to you about the types of deals they're looking for. Get your ticket today at femtechsummit.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Witham. Witham is a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated Femtech team is proud to partner with members of the Femtech community. Get to know their team at witham.com backslash femtech. Okay, Fem fans, today's episode features my interview with Amanda French, co-founder and CEO of EMI. The EMI smart case system automatically tracks when you take your birth control pill and reminds you when you don't, so you can live stress-free. Finally, it's literally a smart case that your pills fit in directly and it communicates with your phone. So cool. If you're interested in trying the EMI smart case, then go to emmy.com, that's E-M-M-E.com, and use promo code FEMTECH15 for 15% off your case. That's Femtech 15 for 15% off. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks so much for having me today. Definitely. Is that a chandelier behind you? This is a chandelier behind me. (laughs) That's like real fancy. Beautiful lighting in the place we're renting. I can't take any credit for it, but uh, I certainly (laughs) enjoy it. (laughs) That's awesome. And um, where are you calling in from? I'm calling in from Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. Awesome. Awesome. We, I just love learning about where people are calling in from. I mean, we got different continents, different countries, Mm -hmm. different cities. So it's always really cool to hear where femtech is happening. And I'm, I'm actually really grateful for fem for the pandemic, making everything virtual because femtech doesn't have a hub. We're everywhere, right? right? It's literally all over the world. Yeah. (laughs) Have you noticed that too? Like I actually feel more connected to femtech because now we all just accept it's going to be on zoom. Do you feel like that too? I do. I feel like, um, I mean, there's such an interesting femtech community and set of events in Europe that in years past, it would be like, oh, should I, I mean, I can't fly to London. I wish I could attend, but now you can just, you know, zoom in at random hours. The only thing you have to worry about is the different time zones. So I have found that to be really cool, connecting more with 
the Women of Wearables community and different global femtech networks just to bring it all together. You are so right. I was supposed to actually go to Japan and visit Fermata, um, mm. a femtech group out there in March of last year. It was right on the edge. Trip got canceled, but it was like, oh, I want to like get to know you and get connected. I have to fly to Japan. Right. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that's what I'm going to have to Which do. Which would be really cool anyways, but I think, um, yeah, I think that's one been one of the silver linings is just yes. realizing I, you don't have to do that. Yep. But now I can virtually know them. And now when I go to Japan, we can just party, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't exactly. have to get, <laughs> we can just bypass all of the introductions. For well, sure. Anyways, uh, let's get into your story. So one of the things we always love to cover is our um, guests' backgrounds. We usually don't get a degree in femtech, right? We usually study something else. Um, A lot of times people have a personal experience that get them here. So tell us what your story is. What did you study? Did you have a career? How did you end up here? Yeah, certainly. So I would say, I mean, from the beginning, my, my career and my story has really been rooted in my passion for both arts and math. So I grew up a total nerd. I love math, still do. I was always looking for harder math problems and just problems to solve. And at the same time, um, my mom is a ballet teacher. I loved dance and theater. And I think because of that, I wasn't always sure what I wanted to be when I grew Mm -hmm. up at first. There's not necessarily that example for the the ballerina mathematician, so to speak. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's not the stereotype. There actually are a lot of us, but it's not the stereotype. And so um, I remember growing up thinking like, oh, do I want to be a doctor? I think that could be a really cool way to just help people and make the world a better place. Um, at the same time, I'm so empathetic and I really connect with like the the dreams and and pains of strangers. And so I just thought, okay, I think this is gonna to be too challenging to be a physician. I think I would get too emotionally wrapped up in this. Not to mention, um, as I asked around, I learned you actually don't do a lot of math as a as a doctor necessarily, not in most <laughs> yeah. fields, right? And yeah. so that kind of brought me back to the drawing board thinking, okay, what would be a way that I could do math and science while creating things, while building things, while helping make the world a better place? And I was fortunate to be kind of clued into the field of mechanical engineering when I was in high school. People started telling me, you know, that could be a really cool industry for you because mechanical engineers build products, they invent new things, they bring it to market. And so that was how I ended up studying mechanical engineering. And really with that angle of wanting to develop products in the medical device industry. Mm-hmm. So my first job after graduating from Duke was a job at Edwards Life Sciences, which is a global company. They they primarily develop cardiovascular products and heart valves. Um, I did a rotational program with them, which was so cool because I got to have roles in R&D, marketing, project management, and I just loved, you know, driving innovations forward. After a couple of years at Edwards, I moved to Earlens, which is a hearing aid startup. And again, the theme was similar. It was like driving global technology forward as an engineer. And I loved that translation from concept all the way to patients. Um, and I'm and sure so at, after, a, at a startup, you were wearing all the hats, right? Right, yes, we wearing all startup. the hats. We do everything, right? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, this is a... Um, an embarrassing fact, but I, when I was at Ireland, so we were developing a really novel hearing aid. And when I joined the company, I was really gung ho. I just wanted to help 
you know, whoever I could, which is one of my tips, I would say for people, especially early in their careers to just kind of jump in and try different things. Um, and so the marketing department kind of saw that opportunity and they said, okay, great. We need someone to be the patient in our patient video. Could you model for us? And I was like, sure, that sounds glamorous. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it was a video of the physician at the company literally removing earwax from my ear to clean it, to place the hearing aid. And this is the demo <laughs> video that they now show to, <laughs> to um, physicians all over the country. So that's the extent of my, my modeling career, unfortunately. I is the love that story. Earwax removal classic, services. Classic startup. So I used to have a DNA-based dating app and um, how you would do your DNA test for the dating app is you'd swab your cheek. Yes. There was hundreds of videos that of me swabbing my cheek to like illustrate it. And there was at one point, if you Googled my name, like the first two rows were just me at different angles swabbing. Oh gosh. My side of my <laughs> <laughs> you I had amazing SEO for <laughs> this early God, step of your career. I Googled myself and it's decreased. They're still in there, but there yeah. are like other things now too. So yeah. I, I love that story. Um, so what happened to the hearing aid company? What happened next? Yeah. So after that, we launched the product. It's been really successful. It just recently won one of Time's Best Inventions. And so it was exciting to see that just the, the scale of success that it's achieved. But um, once we got through the launch, I really felt like, okay, I love this process of bringing products to market. I really want to learn how to do that myself. Mm -hmm. And so that brought me to the Stanford Biodesign Program, which is the end of the innovation fellowship that I did just prior to founding Emmy. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really cool global program. They bring together physicians and engineers. They choose 12 fellows every year to really learn this process, which is a very process-driven approach to solving unmet needs. And it was really cool. We, we had full access to Stanford Hospital. We were tasked with just finding as many problems and challenges as we could. And then through design thinking and through the biodesign process, we were really trained through this approach of how do you identify which of those are the most promising business opportunities? Mm -hmm. um, and that was really where Emmy was born because I came to that program with such a background in driving innovative medical devices mm -hmm. to market. And I had really cool opportunities to observe in different categories of women's health, you know, labor and delivery, prenatal, well woman clinic. And I was just looking around like, where, where's the innovation? Where are the products? People are <laughs> suffering left and right. Like where it's not that it's not possible. I know it's possible because I've done this in multiple sectors of healthcare. And I just, I couldn't believe that. And then I kind of coupled that with just reflecting on, well, you know, I really have always been the only female engineer in the room on my team. Um, perhaps that lack of balanced perspective is contributing to the fact that there has not been as much innovation in the category just because you don't have as many people who really understand the needs. And so it was almost overwhelming at first because there are just so many unmet needs in women's health, but I, I just had so many conversations, you know, endless. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I made a business out of it. <laughs> you made a business out of it. I mean, it's, it's such a big, um, such a big business opportunity and, and what I noticed was there are a lot of companies, fortunately and thankfully, supporting you know prenatal care, postpartum, fertility, 
there weren't as many companies and still really aren't focusing on contraception. Like what about that first moment when you decide you don't want to get pregnant and you need support and maybe you're not going to want to tell your parents. Um, and we looked at the pill and we just saw like, wow, the pill has not been innovated on since it launched in the sixties. Um, that would be okay if the pill worked well for people, but in reality, nearly one out of 10 people on the pill have an unplanned pregnancy each year, which amounts to a million unplanned pregnancies, which is so staggering. It's all because of adherence challenges. So people missing one to two pills a month, which most of us do, myself included. And um, it just, there's this obvious problem that no one was doing anything about, you know, and I, I would start to ask around and it's like, oh, well, that's just a part of part of life, part of the pill, the risk we take, get yeah. used to it. And I was yeah. like, yeah. there's no way, I can't think of any other product where, I mean, you know, even a 2% failure rate, let alone nine would be deemed acceptable. But I think yeah. that's kind of the the challenge with women's health is, um, you know, that, that narrative is pretty common. Oh, this is good enough. This is how it is. I've had people tell me like, oh, well, if women didn't want to get pregnant, they would just be better at taking the pill, which I find <laughs> staggering um, Yeah, because nobody's perfect. We struggle with routines in every category of life. And so it would be rare to blame the user, right? When a system's not better, like people, I mean, think of any innovation, it's improving life. And yet for the pill, that just hadn't been the attitude. And so it has been really exciting to found Emmy to really change that attitude, change that narrative, and finally bring a product to market that solves such a big problem. Well, I have a lot to say. I anticipate you're probably going to talk about a bunch of points. So I won't <laughs> just yet. No, I'd love to hear what you have to say. <laughs> um, well, let's start with what does Emmy do? And then, and then I'm, I'm going to bring up some points I'd love to discuss with you. So what, what is Emmy? How are you, how is Emmy solving this problem? Yeah, so um, we recently commercialized the first smart kill, the first smart pill case for birth control pill adherence. It is a small, sleek, beautiful, connected pill case. So it's a Bluetooth enabled case. It has multiple sensors. It syncs automatically with your phone. And I almost describe it as like a Fitbit for the pill because it tracks if, where, and when you've taken your pill, syncs that data automatically with our app. And then the magic really is in the experience with the app, because for people who use our product, because we have data about how they're using their medication, our app is able to send smart, relevant reminders until people actually take the pill. So alarm fatigue is such a common problem. You know, you think oh. you're going to remember, you just keep snoozing it. It always comes at the oh, wrong time. Girl, you should see my alarm. <laughs> I, I can imagine to. like. <laughs> birth control one, birth control two. Well, the problem with that is your phone has no idea if you've taken your pill or not. And so yeah. it's just going to keep bugging you and you're going to keep ignoring it. With the ME system, we send reminders only when you've missed your pills. So it's really relevant. So when you get that reminder, which you can customize, it can be a text, it can be push notification. You can get up to three reminders. It's just a much more personalized experience. And this reduces missed pills by 80%. That's something that we've shown in, um, in one of our recent studies. And so it not only helps people be better at taking the pill on time, but our app, um, what I found was there was really a gap in information too. Like, what are you supposed to do if you miss a pill? Are you on the right pill for your body? How, how do you make sure that this medication 
which is so common, is really you know doing its job for you. And so our app also provides details from you know Center for Disease Control. If you miss a pill, what should you do? Mm-hmm. It enables you to track symptoms and side effects, so you can get that full picture, um, and just really closes the loop on the pill experience as that first touch point towards the broader vision of driving innovation for the entire women's health journey. I'm writing down some questions because I don't want to forget all of them that are shooting through my brain right now. So (laughs) number one, um, what are you supposed to do if you miss the pill? Yeah. So there's a couple of, there's a couple of things. The instructions are somewhat complex. So there are two types of birth control pills. Um, Broadly speaking, there's progestin only, which don't, which doesn't have estrogen. And then there are combination pills, which have progestin and estrogen. Um, So even between those two things, what you should do if you miss a pill is different. Um, Broadly speaking, if you're on progestin only, you have a very narrow window, um, only a couple of hours before you're at risk of unplanned pregnancy. At which point, if you're even just a few hours late with your pill, you for most of these prescriptions, you should use a backup for several days. Um, It's different for combination. The um, combination pills are slightly less sensitive. So you have a wider window in which you can take the pill. You generally can take the pill within 24 hours, but then if you do miss, you need to use backup contraception for seven days. And those are just kind of the general Um, The general themes, it also depends on which week you are in your cycle. Certain weeks you would be instructed to just stop what you're doing and start a new pack. And this is why Google searching like missed pill, what do I do, (laughs) doesn't work because you heard, um, you know, what I just described, it depends on what type of prescription, how many hours late you were, what number pill you were on. And if you Google search, I've heard from so many people who are like, I Google searched and I was just convinced I was pregnant, like for no reason, because it has no idea your context. And so for us, that's a big part of it is um, with the pill data, we can actually identify, okay, which piece of of information do we surface that could be the most relevant to hopefully make that whole experience much less stressful. And there is, and there is enough data for, you know, if Google was actually like women centered and empowered. Um, is there enough research on like which pill and if you miss it and how much time, like what's your risk? Cause a lot of times we interact with femtech founders that are like, yeah, we know like if you miss your pill, like you're gonna, you know, this could happen. But technically if you ask me for the graph, like no one's actually researched it. So is that the case here? Or unfortunately, okay. yes, that is the case here. There is not yet research that suggests you know, if you take this specific action on this day, your chances decrease by this percent. Uh-huh. And when you look at um, just research for birth control pills in general, there are very limited number of studies. Even the study that I point to about pill adherence and the challenges around missed pills, um, the most prominent study is from 1998, which is wild, right? And so I think the fact that there has not been research means it's very important for women and people on the pill to take matters into their own hands, which is why we support so much symptom tracking. We wanna hear from people, did this work for you or not? What are your symptoms and side effects? So that together with our community, we can actually pioneer and build that data set and build that research set to start to answer some of those questions because unfortunately, Um, you know, pharmaceutical companies aren't necessarily motivated to run studies that will tell you that their prescription is not as effective as the other. (laughs) (laughs) I can't blame them, but I think 
Um, that's why the mission of our company and the mantra is putting women's health in women's hands. Right. When I looked at what else was going on, I, I just, I was like, I couldn't, I can't find another option than to just take matters into our own hands, build yeah. our own data and start to publish some information about this because um, it's unfortunate. And when what you're saying is true, it's not just ME, it's not just the pill, it's not just birth control. Unfortunately, across so many sectors of women's health, there are certain conditions where medications have only been tested on men, even though our hormones are incredibly different. Um, and those conclusions were drawn really without looking at the right patient population. Um, so it's highly problematic. And I think and hope that this can only improve over time. Absolutely. 110%. One of the uh, scariest, like, uh, I have so many crazy facts. I'm a great guest. Invite me over for dinner. <laughs> I'm Lots sure. of fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting facts. One of them is, um, we have so many C-sections because we think that women are stalling out in their labor. But if we look at what the research was for like cervical, um, dilation, it mm-hmm. was done on like 20 white women in the seventies and they were right. actually sedated. And it's like, what? We're literally cutting women open because of a study we did decades ago. And there was only white women and they were all 22 and they were, you know, it's like none none of natural common scenarios for childbirth. Yeah. I mean, it's noted and, um, and just staggering that the C-section rate is so much higher in the United States compared to so many other countries and it's, it's cultural. And it's also, I think rooted, as you said, and there's such a knowledge gap. Yeah. Um, I mean, the you know, these studies are like only live. white women, small sample sizes. Yeah. It's just completely inappropriate for the patient population today. Yeah. Um, that's right. And yeah. So, all right. And I also want to like hit home a point that you said earlier, which is this, um, you know, birth control study is in 1998, right? Mm-hmm. Yet what is the percentage of women or what, how many women in the U S are on birth control? just so we can really sit these next to each other. Yeah, so there are 10 million women in the US at any given time on birth control pills, 150 million women worldwide. And those numbers in the US, it represents the fact that the pill is the most common form of contraception. And so, let alone one of the most commonly prescribed drugs, you know, separate from just being contraception. Like top 10, right? Prescribed drugs or something? It's one of the most common prescriptions, especially for, you know, teenage girls, women in their 20s. It's often that first prescription. And that was what made me so sad was to see for millions, tens of millions of women, this is the entry point into the healthcare system. And it's just, it's so disappointing. It's so stressful. It leads to people buying pregnancy tests taking plan B more often than they would like to. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and yes, yet it's considered somewhat niche, you know, women's health is often described as this niche category, which I won't go into because I, I know it's talked about a lot, but it's just like, I don't, the numbers don't compute for that type of conclusion. (laughs) And so, um, I think that's why fortunately more women's health companies are popping up is there just is really so much unmet need. That's right. And so you were talking about like, you need to know what kind of birth control you're on. You're on the progestin or the estrogen plus progestin. Mm -hmm. How does one know what they're on? Because honestly, while you were saying that I was like, I am the host a femtech <laughs> podcast and i don't know which one i'm on <laughs> i know it's so I common i, I get that all the time i mean i didn't know that you didn't know which one you're on but it's that's so common is 
what I'm describing, these are, you know, new vocabulary words for so many people. And so, um, you know, typically the combination pills will have the placebo week. So it'll be 21 active tablets and a placebo week. Mm. And um, the, the number of people using progestin only is a much smaller group. Typically people go on that prescription, for example, if they're breastfeeding to not pass estrogen to the baby, if they have a history of migraine. Um, so usually, you know, a physician will kind of emphasize if that's the one that you're on because it is so sensitive and it's much more common to be on the combination, but um, I think what you said just speaks to the the gap. We don't you don't necessarily need to become the expert in what what formula is in your prescription, but because of that, it would be really nice to have an app like Emmy that actually just tells you, like, okay, this is yeah. the prescription you're on, so therefore this is what you need to do yeah. because we whether or not you think you took it on time, we have proof that you didn't. And so <laughs> that was what one of the founding principles is it's not actually that people need to become so much more obsessive and anxious about the pill and learning everything. We could be that partner and that coach and alleviate some of the stress because you have so many better things to think about and worry about than what time did you take the pill two days ago, for example? Yes, yes. All right, some other questions I came up with. One yes. was... Um, does your app provide some information where you can actually say, Hey, I'm on this antibiotic for the next two weeks or something. And like, because sometimes I go to the, you know, pharmacy for, for medicine and they're mm -hmm. like, um, by the way, this interacts with your birth control. And I'm like, well, I'm single and lonely. So whatever. And I'm <laughs> like, whatever, <laughs> like doesn't matter, but, um, you're really making me think about if this, so does your app provide that kind of info too? It's in our roadmap. We don't specifically have those, um, that type of information yet about other prescriptions, but that really is the vision of the company is what could we do to connect the dots between the physician and the pharmacy and the app and the case. Um, and not only to tell people, oh, you're on this prescription. So your pill is going to be different, but also just help people find the right pill for them. So right now, we have so many different um, categories for symptom and side effect tracking, which we really see as something that's going to be helpful to figure out if you're on the right pill. You know, if you have excruciating cramps every month on the pill, that's another topic and example where women have just been told, oh, that's just a part of life. Every month you're supposed to suffer at an excruciating level, maybe be unable to get out of bed, maybe go to the emergency room. Um, those are not exaggerated situations. As you know, these are common things that people experience. Um, yet so often, maybe if you just found a different medication, you could alleviate those symptoms. Yeah. And so we want to help with both better inputs. Like if you track, we can tell you maybe to talk to your doctor about a different prescription, but then also if you are on multiple medications, how do you make sure that your care, your overall care is optimized for you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I've said it on this podcast before. Years ago, I was on a birth control that during my period week, my breasts would get huge, mm -hmm. huge. I'm yeah. not, and I'm not talking like regular, like, oh, it's my period. I would be like- A whole nother set of bras for this week. <laughs> and it was so painful. Like, yeah. For them to grow that fast, that big, once a month, like that. And I mean, there, admittedly, listeners, admittedly, there was a piece of me that was like, hell yeah, look at them. <laughs> hey, look at them. They look great, you know? <laughs> but like, um, that's not normal. Like, 
that's not normal. If men were on a pill um, that made their balls three times bigger for a week, we would have, we would, that would be a dozens of solutions <laughs> to this problem. There's a funny, um, I wish I could remember the, the company who did this. I'm sure, you know, you've maybe spoken to them before, but they did a funny video of if men breastfed mm-hmm. and just a total, like, kind of fantasy world of how many products we would have and what the work office setup would look like. And it would be a point of pride. And um, I think it's always interesting to consider like, okay, how, how gendered is this experience and why, and what can we do about that? And it's not just like um, healthcare and innovators fault because me, I knew like, this is crazy, like changing my physiology. And you know what? I accepted it. I was like, well, Mm -hmm. this is just the birth control I'm on. And so Mm -hmm. women are like, we're literally innovating for status quo. Like the status quo is that you're going to be uncomfortable as a woman, you know, like that. It really has been. Yeah. And I think, um, so many people think, oh, I, maybe this is just how it's supposed to be, or maybe I'm the only one. Uh Um, And not only is there that negative or misleading self-talk, but also physicians often tell women that they're overreacting. We (laughs) know that there's a history of women going to the hospital with excruciating cramps, and it turns out that they have a diagnosis for something severe like endometriosis, yet it takes years because often the physicians are saying, oh, it's just cramps. I'm sure nothing is wrong. You know, you need to go home. And so... That's another opportunity that we see to empower women is to be able to show, okay, your cramps are not average. You are logging cramps at a level that's top five percentile in terms of pain. And so do with that what you will, but we want you to know that this is not the average experience, even if people tell you it is. And we feel like if you can have this whole community of women kind of behind you to have that conversation with a physician, it could be much more empowering because yeah we tell ourselves like oh I guess this is just yep average normal as good as it gets right yep I uh was talking to a a founder the other day who wants to innovate uh medical school like books and training and all the things because she was working in the uh psych ward at a hospital and she kept getting all these young teenage girls being sent to her and she was like, what's the problem? And they were like, well, like, I want to kill myself because my period and my cramps are so bad. And she's like, mm-hmm. you're not suicidal. You have endometriosis. <laughs> you yes. have PCOS. Why did they send you here? <laughs> like, you're just trying to describe how bad your pain is. You don't actually need to be in the psych ward. You need to be, right. you know, like, she's like, this, it was crazy. Like medical doctors at a great hospital were just like, you must be nuts. You know, yeah, totally girl, girl, right. Crazy. I think. There's, I'm, I'm happy to hear that people are working on this because there is obviously such a gap, I think, in med school training and in, in textbooks um, evidenced by the fact that people are so often referred to the wrong place. And it's not as if endometriosis is niche, right? Doesn't this affect I think it's like 10% of women yeah. and same yeah, with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and so it's just, it's heartbreaking, right? To think of those teenage girls, like this is, again, it's their first, maybe their first experience with the healthcare industry and yeah. just to be sent the wrong direction or told uh, just to get used to it, I think is really unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, another question. So I was um, 
you know, I have always respected like the burden on women is that we have to remember to take our pill every day or at the same time for it to work and all those things. And then somebody brought up like, and we have the burden of like getting our prescription refilled and like going to the pharmacy before they close. And I was Mm -hmm. like, damn, you're right. Like I have just accepted that burden. You're right though. Like add that to the list, add it to the list, <laughs> right? Of things that absolutely are that men don't have on their plate, right? Yes. And so because if I don't go to the pharmacy and my insurance currently I'm on an insurance that only lets me get one month at a time. So, so you have to go exactly on that. On that if you go early, they're gonna reject it. If you go exactly. late, you're risking unplanned pregnancy. That's right. That there right. are shocking obstacles to getting medication yeah. <laughs> when so it's birth control. I wanted to ask you about Emmy, like, is there any like reminder about going to get your pill refilled Mm -hmm. and stuff like that? Tell me about that part. Yeah. So within our app, you can really build out your custom pill pack. So I, you know, I have 21 active pills. I skip the placebo week. So I want to start every 21 days. And with that information, we do send reminders a couple of days before the new pack starts. And then the day that you're supposed to start the new pack, you know, your new pack is coming up. Today's the day to start your new pack because it's not just one problem. It's not just remembering that pill every single day. It is also what you described, remembering to get the prescription, remembering to start the new pack. A lot of people don't take their placebo pills, which makes it kind of hard to remember when you're on day seven. And so, um, We've tried to account for all those little subtle things that can throw you off. Even it's less relevant right now because I know people aren't traveling as much, but um, when you change time zones, you're supposed to change the time that you take the pill. Um, Never thought about that. Just to be kind of in line with what time you would have taken it in your local time zone. And most people don't think about that or you know, they add two hours instead of subtracting. And so our app just offers automatic time zone adjustments. So we say, hey, we, we see that you're in a new time zone. We're going to remind you at this time instead. Wow. Um, and it's important. I've spoken with a woman who got pregnant when she was traveling abroad and just, you know, missed a few days, did the math wrong. So it's like every little thing. And when people ask, well, what about a phone alarm? Like, isn't that, you know, good enough? Isn't that solving all the problems? It, it doesn't even know how to solve the problems I just described, <laughs> right? It's like, what? And actually, that'd be cool if phone alarms like switched time zones and reminded you to go to the pharmacy and stuff. But um, I haven't seen that. So that's why we felt like we needed to build it ourselves. And even going to the pharmacy before I go on a trip, um, so I'll have to beg them. Well, if my insurance won't cover a month, I'm leaving tomorrow for right. a week. You won't give it to me till next week. Or like going to a pharmacy in another city, another state, another country. It, it's insane. It's truly insane. How, yeah, it, how it there all are works. a lot of obstacles yes, to be are. overcome for sure. Um, what are, you know, uh, where are you at currently with the company? Like, can people get it, get the pack, get the app? Like how can they do that? How many people, women are you helping right now? And then what's your future goals for the company? Yeah. So we are commercially available. We launched on emmy.com, which is our website. Um, back in 2020, so a couple of months ago, and we're available on iOS as well as on Android. Um, so almost anybody on the pill can use our product. The app is also free to download and use. And so that's a great way to just start to test it and get used to it. And what we find is a lot of people start using our app. They love the experience, but they want those automatic updates from the case. And so that's why so many people are using both. 
Um, and the case itself works with more than 100 brands of birth control pills. And so it's really easy to set up. You literally turn on Bluetooth, click the pairing button, and it's connected and synced. And it's um, so cute. Thank you. I, um, you know, I mentioned, I mean, I designed heart valves, I designed hearing aids. When I was looking at, at women's health, I was thinking about how, um, you know, the pill is a product that you use every single day. I want this to be something that doesn't look like, you know, blood pressure monitor or something that you're just going to put on the shelf. I want it to be beautiful. And so we teamed up um, with a design team named Deerfield. And this is a, a prominent agency who has really incredible experience with um, fashion, beauty. And I we worked with them to say, like, how could we make this pill experience fashionable, beautiful, Instagram worthy, purse worthy, something that you're proud of? Um, and that has really resonated with our customers. I mean, people say they love it for different reasons. Some people love to show it off. Some people actually like that their mom doesn't know it's birth control and it's subtle. It looks like makeup. And so um, that was an interesting design challenge to think of, okay, how do you make something that's both subtle if you want it to be and, you know, something that you want to show off if you feel yeah. that way about it too. Yeah. Because I've definitely like you know, slept over a guy's house or whatever, mm -hmm. like brought my little morning kit and like, I have my birth control just right. And you know exactly what it is. Like half right. of the pills are gone. Half of yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm like, whatever. They should know I'm like doing that. We should have already talked about it, but there's also like a piece of me that I'm like, I don't want them to look at this. Like, I don't want them to like show up on my birth control, you know, yeah. did I take it today or not? Cause it has like the days of the week on the top. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's also a part where I'm like, how do I not have this, you know, just be so obvious sitting here next to my toothbrush, right? Yeah, it's a personal thing. I mean, I remember I used to miss pills because I would try to take it at lunchtime at work. Um, but, you know, the schedule always shifts. And I mentioned I was the only woman on an engineering team. And I was like, this just feels like a lot to share to, to have all of my colleagues see that I'm taking a pill. And so it wasn't even that I was ashamed of being on the pill, but and I'm, I'm the first person who will like walk proudly with a tampon across like a public place. Like, yeah. I'm like, forget about hiding it under your sleeve. Like this is a normal, yeah. we're not hiding toilet paper. This is so normal. Um, but that did resonate with me. Like, just because you're not ashamed doesn't mean you don't want a little bit of privacy and you deserve yeah. that. And so, um, you know, we really invested in making that feel like something that you could have with our product if you wanted it. Well, so it's available now. And what are your goals for the future of Emmy? Yeah, so um, we are rapidly expanding. We really listen to our users and um, requests that we get. And what we're finding is most common is how can Emmy support even more parts of the healthcare journey? Um, we recently received a grant and are exploring partnership with Express Scripts, which is a big, you know, um, prescription management provider. And so that's kind of a hint of where we're going as we're thinking about, okay, how else can we make it easier to get access to the pill and get the pill to your door and things like that. Um, but then from there, what's been really cool is people trust Emmy so much with their day-to-day -day health experience. So many people track their sexual activity, track their symptoms, their side effects, their cycle, and it just makes it obvious where, where there are other gaps. I mean, there's so many gaps within women's health, but we're able to see, okay, what are those gaps that are the most common, most important to our customers that we could solve with other products, with other app features? Um, and, and so that's probably, really cool. It's probably yeah. for the first time actually quantified. 
right? It's quantified, exactly. We know this is an issue, but no one actually quantified it, right? Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Um, I love that you got a grant because I do a lot of uh, fundraise consulting and I Mm. just think, you know, I can tell you about pitch decks and angels and VCs and all the things, but there's a huge piece of me that I'm like, get those grants. Yeah. <laughs> like don't give away equity, get grants. There is some crazy number, like $2 billion a year goes unaccounted, like unissued from Unplanned. the government yep. because no one applied for the grant. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's crazy. Um, and a lot of what we're doing in femtech, unfortunately is R and D no okay. one has looked into it. And so as an investor myself in femtech, I actually don't, I mean, I don't mind investing in you in order for you to do the research, but I really rather you ask the government to fund that part. You know, I want to fund the marketing and the scaling. So um, what agency did, if you can say like what agency you got the grant from and what is your experience around the grant part? Yeah. Well, so we've raised uh, more than $250,000 of grant funding over the course of the life of the company starting with small grants when I graduated from the Stanford Biodesign Fellowship, you know, there were these opportunities for 25K grants, 50K grants. Um, And they've come from kind of an interesting array of sources from, you know, one came from a nonprofit called VentureWell, which I think is a great place for aspiring innovators to look because they really seed early ideas. And then this larger one is from Express Scripts that I mentioned through a program called ADAPT through the Rosenman Institute, which were a company, um, portfolio company of. And so I think there are even more opportunities, you know, those larger government grants where companies work with agencies to get that. Um, So far, we found we're the experts at telling our own story and really knowing what do we need and how would we use those funds. I mean, I know where we put every single dollar of the business and how we're going to put it to use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those have all been internal, internal efforts. And um, I've raised all three types of money. I've raised grant funding. I've raised, raised angel funding. I've raised venture funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I agree with you. Grant funding is so helpful and instrumental for us. It was really, especially early on to prove the concept, to do our early testing. Yeah. Um, you know, if people thought an alarm was good enough, they certainly were going to want to see some data <laughs> to, to show that they should invest in what we were building. And so that has been really helpful. Yeah, because I'm convinced women's health is important, but we actually do need those graphs to convince people who think women are niche, right? We need the graphs Mm -hmm. and the data to show. Uh, One last question on the grants part. Yeah. What would you suggest to our listeners who are like, wow, that sounds great. Where do I go? Like, what do I Google? Because Mm -hmm. even for myself, Femtech Focus is structured as a nonprofit. And I Googled uh, women's health foundations. Man, there's hundreds. I was like, yeah. I need another intern to handle this. <laughs> so what do you suggest if we have a, you know, aspiring founder, early stage founder saying, how do I find these grants? What do they Google? What do they do? Yeah. Well, I mean, I will agree with you. It's true that you have to just filter through hundreds of opportunities. Some of the uh, bigger, more concentrated places to look include NSF, National Science Foundation, um, NIH, National Institute for Health grants. And some of those websites actually link to so many other opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation often seeds um, women's health opportunities more so globally. So I think it depends yeah. on the type of company that's being built. Yeah. Um, we found our, many of our early grants through different listings and email listservs at Stanford itself. Um, and so I think that's something I'm subscribed to so many different, you know, 
email listservs just to to stay in the loop on that. But I think that has been interesting. There's some, you know, university related grants yeah. and then some of the broader government funded national grants. Yeah. Cool. Well, maybe, you know, for our listeners, we do have a virtual network with almost 500 members now. And so maybe it's a, it's a crowdsourcing thing too, mm-hmm. right? If we, if you are subscribed to something and you see a grant for contraception, but you work on endometriosis, maybe you throw that in our virtual network platform, right? So somebody else can find it too. So absolutely. And that is how I learned about some of those um, lesser known grant opportunities is through networking with other founders. And that's such a good example of, um, you know, why not? Why not help? If you see a grant that could help another company that it's not even relevant for you, I try to share that as as much as I can, because, um, you know, there's karma, then people reach out to you and it is such a community. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I have two last questions for you. Then we'll wrap right. it up. The okay. First, sounds good. Uh, these last two are some of our listeners' favorites. The first one is if someone wanted to start a femtech company, what's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Well, we've talked about one of them already, which um, I guess it's two P- PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome and endometriosis are two conditions where it's just so staggering to me how common these are. It's 10% of the population. And yet there are gaps at every step of the way, gaps in identifying, gaps in treatment, um, gaps in really just understanding both clinically and from the patient perspective. And so, and I come across this a lot because a lot of people use the pill to try to address this. So there's a lot of crossover there. but the pill doesn't solve every problem for those conditions. And so I really, I would love to see more innovators trying to innovate in that area because not only is the area under um, underfunded and under innovated in, but there's just so many ways that I think you could make a difference. Yeah. Um, and then the one that we haven't talked about as much is in menopause. And we are finally starting to see a few companies popping up in this space, but um you know, menopause is a universal condition that essentially every woman goes through and it's such a mystery and it's a mystery for years and everyone needs their own um, unique treatment regimen to get through the symptoms. And so, um, and it's, it's relevant. We're thinking about it too, because a lot of people actually do go back on hormonal therapy to address those symptoms. Um, But again, that's not the only solution. So I think that's an area where I would love to see more companies. Absolutely. I was uh, talking to a corporate lawyer the other day and she said she was on the phone with some uh, private equity PE guys and she mentioned menopause and she mentioned, you know, women over 40 and they said, you mean geriatrics? Oh my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, Brittany, Brittany, like I can't, I can't with these guys. And I was like, yes, we have so much work to do. (laughs) Simply because we're like no longer having babies, we are not geriatric. Okay. That's not the like (laughs) point of our existence. Um, Crazy. Our last question is what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Well, I do think at the highest level, the femtech industry does need more funding. Mm -hmm. Um, Dollars drive businesses and business opportunity and every femtech founder has found so many ways to be scrappy, but at the end of the day, it's a huge business opportunity that is so worth investing in. And so I think it needs that funding. I think to unlock that funding, um, what what we need to see more is people believing women, which is something that we need to see beyond femtech. But 
I've been kind of staggered during some of my investor meetings, um, the boldness of people who know nothing about the pill, who tell me what it's really like, you know, who tell me, you know, what the real problems for women are and why the pill is perfect. And just all of these things where I'm, I'm perplexed. I'm like, I don't, I don't know why you wouldn't believe this data that I'm sharing with you of hundreds of women. Um, mansplaining your own vagina to you. You <laughs> exactly. have a vagina. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, maybe somebody doesn't believe it at first and then they ask one woman and if she didn't struggle with the pill, then that must prove all women don't. And so, um, it's kind of basic, but I'd love to see investors and partners approach Femtech the way they approach every other category. Like, oh, I'm kind of new to this. I need to do some research. Um, let me learn from you. Um, and I think that that would, that would go a long way yeah. in terms of driving innovation in the industry. Do you think they don't, and this is a hypothesis because I don't, I don't have a graph. I don't have the data on it, but I have a hypothesis that a lot of investments are made because the pitch is heard and then the men go uh, out for beers or they go to the football game and the clubhouse or they go golfing and they're like, Hey, so uh, just heard of this new company called Emmy and it's a birth control pill, da, 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 da. And, you know, I don't know. I feel like the um, barrier there is that like men are not encouraged to talk about periods. Mm-hmm. Men don't know the difference between vagina and vulva. Men mm-hmm. don't talk about nipple discharge, right? Like it is encouraged for them to talk about SpaceX and rockets and finance, <laughs> you know, yes. and blockchain and crypto and like things that are more quote unquote masculine and not about the women's biology. And I think that that's a huge barrier to our deals getting funded. Mm-hmm. Even if we can convince them in the in the pitch originally, they I find that in, a lot of investors like to talk to their friends, get another like, "Am I crazy? Like, is this good?" But those conversations don't happen because they have to say the word like, you know, uh, awkward essentials, killing it right now. Company femtech company killing it, and but they have a sponge to soak up cum from mm-hmm. your vagina after sex. Yep. I do not anticipate men talking about that. Like, Hey, like, you know, so. I think you're right. And I think that's where, um, it shouldn't have to be our problem to solve, but I do think any work that we could do towards really shaking the stigma and shaking yeah. the taboo. And, you know, I, I mentioned just the example of like not hiding your tampon when you are walking to the bathroom not telling someone you have a migraine and you're staying home from work. If really the truth is that you're on your period and just um, we've been conditioned that we shouldn't talk about it. And so then I think you're right in business meetings, um, casual or not, we've all socially been conditioned like, Oh, that's just not something that you bring up. I don't know even the vocabulary for that. And so trying to normalize it, those are, you know, smaller day-to-day shifts that I hope can add up to a much bigger impact. That is you, I love this show because you guys always remind me of all these other things that I've done in my own woman life. Like mm-hmm. in grad school, I can remember I had a really bad yeast infection and like, yeah, couldn't go to school for three days. And I had to make up, like I have the flu. Right. Right. Because I was like, oh, I can't tell my female boss uh, that I have a yeast infection. Like mm-hmm. what would she think of me? You know, yeah, even between women, right. Yeah. That we just feel like there's this um, this reason to hide it. And yeah. yeah, if you think of commercials, even for pads and tampons, mm-hmm. you know, they always, there's that stereotype like blue, <laughs> what is it? You know, dishwasher detergent, they're putting some blue liquid on it. And it's like, why? That's so crazy. 
people clearly don't have a problem with blood. We you've never seen in a TV show if someone like has a cut on their arm, blue blood <laughs> coming out. And <laughs> like it's just this weird arm. messaging. Yeah, like this should be, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, but it's like that's let's question that. Let's yeah. not act like we have to dance around it. And the more you can make it part of the culture, that's at least one obstacle that you yeah. can overcome. And um I think it impacts everything from not only innovation to policy, like this, this culture where you feel like you can't talk about women's health makes it so people don't talk about it. And so we have to, to shake that up. Well, I am so excited. We are getting a woman as our vice president, you know, the first time we're getting a uterus up in there, a clitoris up in there, you know, like it's incredible breastfed up in there because (laughs) it's like, if you don't have it, you're not going to think about it, you know? And so I'm really excited to potentially see some initiatives from her. Kamala actually uh, led a recent bill in the Senate before she was running for uh, fibroid research. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm like, we could have more funding, you know. I just gotta get Kamala's cell phone number and text her. I know. Maybe you can get her as a as a guest on the show. What would that be amazing? On the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, this has been so much fun. Obviously, we're gonna be friends. I can already yes. tell. Um, yes. we've gone way over time, but I don't care. This is so worth it. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. And I think you have a special promo code for our listeners. Yeah, we'd love to share a promo code with the listeners. So with code FEMTECH15, you can get 15% off. Um, And I I mentioned our website is emmy.com. So you can just enter that directly at checkout. Um, And then you can also find us on Instagram at meetemmy and on Facebook at try.emmy. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. This was great. Thank you for listening to my interview with Amanda French, co-founder and CEO of Emmy. One thing I'm super proud of Amanda for is fundraising through grants. I am seeing this more and more often, especially from European startups. Since women's health has such inequalities and our femtech startups often require so much basic research, the ability to get government and foundational grants to fund our companies is a huge possibility. So definitely look into it. Super cool. Also, don't forget, if you're interested in trying the Emmy Smart Birth Control System, then go to emmy.com, that's E-M-M-E dot com, and use promo code FEMTECH15 for 15% off your case. That's FEMTECH15 for 15% off. Alrighty, Fem fans, don't forget your tickets for the summits coming up March 21st, 22nd. Go to femtechsummit.com. The reason we're having the summit is because it's our 100th episode that we're dropping on Monday, March 22nd. So that's why we're doing the summit. Get your early bird tickets now, which are only $35. Also, be sure to join our Femtech Focus virtual community and subscribe to our newsletter at femtechfocus.org. In our virtual community, you can become a FemPro member for only $10 a month and get access to our library of recorded FemTech content and get free tickets to FemTech Fundamentals events. These are workshops to help founders build, launch, and succeed. You also get discounts to that summit. Don't forget the summit. (laughs) Femtech Focus also has Monday night podcast listening parties, a new Femtech book club, and weekly office hours on Clubhouse. There is a lot going on, so definitely become a member at femtechfocus.org so you can stay up to date. 
While you're there, also please consider donating to Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.